welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to another episode of No Head, where we learn to live in the present moment. How are you doing, breathers? Yeah, that's my name for all of you who are taking time to breathe and be in the present moment. I hope you're keeping well and taking care of yourself. If you're tuning in for the first time, my name is Dorothy Ooko, and when I'm not doing my full-time job in communications, I facilitate a course at Google called Search Inside Yourself. Today's quote is from Pielo Lumumba, renowned Kenyan lawyer, Pan-Africanist, inspirational and motivational speaker, and my guest today, quote, I believe that we have reached a stage in life in the economic development of Africa where moving forward is perilous, moving backwards is cowardice, and standing still is suicidal. But we must persevere because winners do not quit and quitters never win. End of quote. Truly excited about this show where we navigate life together. As is our practice, Let's take a few moments to fully arrive and settle down by doing a few breathing exercises. Fully arriving is about coming to stillness, tuning into the present moment. It's about learning to allow your breath to transition you from what you are doing to this present moment. This allows you to become still and check in on how you're feeling. So let's practice together by being aware of the next three breaths. We will breathe in through the nose to a count of five. We will hold to a count of two. And we will breathe out slowly through the mouth to a count of five. Let's begin. Breathe in. Hold. Let your breath out slowly. Breathe in. Hold. Breathe out slowly. Breathe in. Hold. Breathe out slowly. The goal of our mindfulness practice is simply to experience life as it unfolds in the present moment. My guest today is Professor Pielo Lumumba and my niece, Aisha Onsando. The way I thought we'd have this conversation, talking about the Africa we want, the mm. Africa we dream of, and then talk about home. And mm. I thought that, Prof, since you're always talking about the dream, what Africa should look like, mm. I thought Aisha would bring the young part of what is, what are they looking for mm. and how will the future look like? What does that mean? Mm. 
And so maybe just start, uh, I, I like starting off this session with COVID-19. I know because I, I know what I watched your last in December 2019. Mm. You were in, um, was it in Ghana or Dar? In Dar es Salaam. In Dar es Salaam. Mm. Was that your last I think international? Last international visit was in Malawi when they were asking us to wash with chlorine, and I said, "In jest, you must have discovered the cure for COVID-19 now that we are washing with the chlorine." When was that? That was in March, I think. Also, in March you still travel. Yeah, I think a week before they closed their space, the first week of March. Did you think that we would be where we are now? Who would have imagined? Who would have imagined that, that a scourge in the far Wuhan in China would then have a footprint across the world? Mm. Nobody would have imagined. We thought it was for them. That was a Chinese thing. And lo and behold, within a few weeks of it, we were all victimized. Yes, we were. And mm. you were going to have a job. Yes, so I am a, a freelancer. Um, right now I work as a strategy consultant for small community-based organizations, so all around Africa. So what that immediately meant was as soon as travel shut down, my business shut down. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there was nowhere to go, there was no one to um, consult to. So yeah, it was very much like many other young Kenyans just in my house mm -hmm. facing a really, really uncertain future. But kind of from the perspective of like, I had turned 30 last year and really felt like I had done everything right, you know, mm -hmm. gone to school, <laughs> gone right. to Kenya School of Law, qualified, you know, all these things. I was really excited to set out on this part of my career and it just, uh, it just died. But luckily I had seen the movie Contagion. Mm -hmm. So at least when I heard the news, I had a framework to be like, oh yeah, this is really scary and could get really, oh, really? <laughs> really bad. Yeah, I, didn't, I, I, I didn't have a pandemic framework. Did you, Prof? I didn't. Not at all. I mean, we, we had seen Ebola, which, right. Was, right. Uh, yeah. which was in the nature much more of an epidemic, to use the sophisticated uh, term, mm. rather than a pandemic. Right. And even Ebola, it threatened to moved from West Africa and went as far as Uganda and Rwanda and the Democratic Republic of Congo, but we were shielded from it. Mm -hmm. So one never imagined with the kind of advances that we have in the medical field that you would have a pandemic that would be of uh, global proportions. Right. And, and I think that that is why the world remains shocked and nobody knows what to do. I mean, even the, the great United States of America, which believed that it is immunized from everything, was uh, left exposed. Mm -hmm. And so was Europe. And ironically, it is Africa, which by God's grace, one may say, that is not as uh, thoroughly beaten as, as the other civilizations. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think Morale, my sister, has a degree, like a master's in public health, and she is screaming that so many people would have seen this mm. coming. Okay. Yeah, so she's listened to experts. Like when climate change scientists are telling you something, listen to what they're telling you. When public health experts are telling you something, because I believe there was a report released by the WHO in 2019 that was like the next global crisis will be mm -hmm. a pandemic, right. an airborne virus. And I, yeah, I think. Like everyone else, I was just like, oh, there's so many other problems. This is not, this, 
is not my focus. Right. So we are not listening, which brings us to this question we wanted to talk about of leadership. Mm. So in Africa, are we listening? Are we listening or these messages that Prof, you talk about all the time, mm. you know? Are we listening? And is COVID going to help us, COVID-19? Is this period going to help us listen? You know, a great Roman philosopher and orator, Cicero, once said that if you don't learn from history, then you always remain in the childhood of knowledge. And, and, and I think that there is, that is rich and deep at once. We don't listen. And as some have said it a lot more beautifully than I would ever say it, the only thing we learn from history is that we learn nothing from history. <laughs> I mean, if you go into, and, and she said uh, what, what, what is very important here, if you go to the gurus of public health and, and their, predic their predictions, they will tell you that this is going to happen. I think they told us, but we don't listen. If you go to our ministries of health across the continent of Africa, all these things may actually be there. Look at what was what is described as, I think it is the Abuja protocol on what African countries should devote to health. 15% of their annual budget. I don't think that many African countries have achieved that. I think Rwanda could have done very well and uh, Tanzania, but many people don't give the pride of place that one expects to be given to, to, to health. The net effect is that we don't listen, but there is a lot of information out there which ought to be broken down and made consumable for the consumption of the man and woman in the street, the man and woman in the villages and hamlets. But even those whom we have charged with leadership don't treat these kind of things as important. The net effect is that we suffer and suffer in a major way. Mm. And I'm wondering, we always talk about the youth as being the future. I'm sure you've heard, I find it a bit cliche. <laughs> <laughs> That's it, when people say, you know, the young people are going to be bad. Aisha, do you feel like the young people are listening as well in this time? I think I would like pose the question, listening to who? Because mm. I think in this crisis, we have really listened to conventional wisdom. Mm. We've listened to the conventional wisdom that America is a superpower, America is like, undefeatable in some mm. mysterious way so to follow the american example of not investing not tracking not you know really focusing on hyper consumption capitalism e rapid economic growth that isn't really based on like the well-being of the people i feel like that is the example that kenya has mm. followed just building malls and malls and malls and malls and right. fixing mm. roads and roads and roads and roads and no pavements mm. and most people walk or ride bikes but mm. we don't have bike paths so right. i think it's like we listen to like conventional wisdom about who we should be becoming as a society and our vision is very american and i think for any kenyan who has actually lived in america can help people interrogate that vision is it the dream to work three jobs and not have health insurance mm. but be able to afford an iphone is it the dream <laughs> mm. you know is it the dream to be um busy distracted full of sugar and very comfortable mm. but also kept very comfortable in a way that means you cannot see your reality or mm. interact with your reality yeah, yeah. so you know, you know the question you ask uh, which is the young people are the leaders of tomorrow. I'm not wedded to that 
view. I, I am of the view that leadership is co-generational. It's right. co-generational and intergenerational. And as the African saying goes, as baby, as mother cow chews, baby cow watches. I'm transliterating. And in that way you learn. And, and you, African societies were very rich in this regard. You would find that uh, the leadership was generational. You have those who are 70, those who are 60, those who are 50s, those who are 40s, those who are 30s, those who are 20s, and they had roles so that you learn. So there's not a question that people must complete some 100 meters dash Price. than another yeah. set. It is much more baton. in the nature of a relay. You, yeah. you hand over the baton. And, and the race is won. And, and I think that uh, it is critical at this stage in the history of, history of Africa, which is the youngest continent on earth. Right. The average age of uh, below 20. Uganda is the youngest nation in Africa, average age of 16. Right. That tells you, and if you look at the average age of the political leaders in Africa, it's just slightly shy of 70, which is a sad thing. You compare that to the Scandinavians, look at the age of the leadership in Denmark, in Finland, in Sweden. People are in their 30s and if they are very old, in their 50s. And then what you then do is that you exclude your young people from critical positions of decision making in the political arena, in the business world, and you then don't earn the dividends of the enthusiasm and the energy and the keen intellect of the youth, which is then of course tampered by the experience and wisdom of age. Mm. These things must coexist and, and, and walk side by side. Mm. And in many African countries, no deliberate effort is being made. And if you see it being made, it's very tokenist. You, you have so many spaces mm -hmm. for youth so many spaces allow me to introduce women, women. to women mm -hmm. so so that and we even go as far as these are women's seats mm -hmm. these are youth seats as if women and youth live in a totally different world aside from everybody else so i think right. we must liberate ourselves yeah. mm -hmm. from that kind of paralyzing thought process mm -hmm. which then undermines africa in a very big way permit me to say this for example look at uh, the United Kingdom, I'm citing this not because I like these countries, but look at uh, the former Prime Minister Cameron. He left office before he attained the age of 50. And nobody hears him saying, I'm too young to leave office. <laughs> look at the United States of America, the former President Barack Obama. He left office before he's the age, and he's not complaining that it's because the world has too many things to be done. But in Africa, you hear somebody say, I'm 60, what will I do? I'm too young. Mm. It is, in Kiswahili, they say it better. Nifikira mm. finyu. <laughs> uh, they say fikira finyu or fikira mgando. It's the kind of thought that, that paralyzes vision. And, and I think that Africa had better liberate herself from this. Mm if she is to grow and realize our potential. I think you set the scene mm. so beautifully for so many things I think my generation feels. Mm. And I think primarily among that is like excluded. Mm. And then also like 
is there a plan for us? You know, when you read the papers, like the Business Daily today, and you see that um, six trillion shillings have been taken out in loans in the name of development, developing this country. And I, as a young person, look around and I think, is there six trillion worth of investment <laughs> in, in me in the next 40 years of my life? And mm -hmm. I do not feel it. And that feeling of young people being stolen from, I think is so powerful because mm -hmm. it feels like parents abandoning the family to eat alone somewhere else <laughs> like where's mom and dad like <laughs> yeah. and some joint yeah and, and like we have been locked in a cupboard yeah and is anyone coming back yeah but we're being told but like by people pointing at a graph that the curve is flattening and that the economy is recovering i look at the mutual aid funds that have kept people alive in this period mm. i look at like the way even young people have had to like put their money together and help each other even among my friend group right and i just it's like we don't occupy the same reality and that just leads to like a huge level of cognitive dissonance mm. as a young person mm. to just feel like such an invisible majority yes. in this country right. our perspective is not anywhere because it's like there is a skepticism that can't be expressed publicly mm, right. and i think there is a skepticism that is also received as the opposite of freedom dreaming mm. and i watched your speech um about making africa work for mm. africans and mm. the thing i loved was that you explicitly called out trauma mm. and how it functions in our society mm. and i just thought to take the idea of trauma seriously mm. to take mm. the idea that my grandmother mm. was traumatized by her experiences in concentration camps in mau mau mm. that that was trauma yes. that she carried did not process mm. passed on yes and that now it is living in me as an unnamed thing and an unexplored thing it is it has acquired a dna quality yes and, 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 and yes of course <laughs> if you look at if you read uh, Ngugi Wathiongo, mm. uh, in his book Decolonizing the Mind, mm. he, he captures it very succinctly because he says, but because the mind is the standard of the, of the person. Mm. And if you don't liberate the mind, then the default position mm. is that you always think that other people are superior. If you talk to your typical uh, African, the Agikoyo. Mm. When you do things well, they say, Nemodoko, he's a, he's, he's a white man. If you talk to a Lui, he says, Odiero. Yeah, he yeah. says, because, he yeah, he's a white man. Yeah, he's a white man. So, so if, if, if you are invited to a meeting and you arrive on time, you hear my Luo people saying, we are Luopians. Mm, yeah. In other words, we are only good because we mimic the Europeans. That tells you that there is something that happened to us which must be exercised going forward. And I think that speaks to the question of, the question that you pose uh, primarily, what is then the role of young people in a society? A society, and I think it is the Chinese who said it, that just as waves push waves in the ocean and in the rivers and in the seas, so must young people push old people. That is the only way in which the waters renew themselves. Mm. Otherwise, you have a pond. Mm. And, and that is what we must liberate ourselves from. Right. Mm. 
and, and I'm wondering actually because you've talked about how the young people are feeling. People are you are you're locked in this room and your parents are out, but also people are talking for you. Yes. People are talking about you, mm -hmm. but you're never really your opinion is never really sought after. No. Mm. And so I'm wondering how does that make you feel? And also in relation to what Prof has said, how do we exercise this this trauma? you know and get you whole so that you can take up your rightful place well the first thing i'll say is that i don't think it's young people exclusively who are traumatized I want to <laughs> oh, it's all about, it's all about. <laughs> there is deep all generational about. uh trauma and you know uh, our trauma was co-founded with our parents yes uh, yeah. um so there was two parts to the question there was do we feel Yes, how, how can we how feel does it make us feel exactly because we talk, we talk for you, mm -hmm. we talk about you, mm. plans are made for you, loans for young people, everything. <laughs> it's yeah. assumed that you are all business people. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes, and are all interested in entrepreneurship <laughs> and, are, and are all, it's crazy, yes. yes. I think social media has done a wonderful thing giving young Kenyans the opportunity to talk to each other and to listen to each other and what you will notice is that young people do not talk about politics in that they are not hooked on the latest installment of the soap opera that is Kenyan politics mm. you know right. this character did this mm. this character has moved there I don't feel a strong interest in those like micro political move like Mm. Right. Shenanigans, I mm. would call them. Right. Um, but we do, we talk about our ideas and our ideals. And I think one of the saddest thing about those ideas and ideals is that they are escapist. It's like, how can I get mm. out? Mm. <laughs> Yesterday, Silas Miami tweeted something like, what's the best feeling in Kenya? Mm. And so many young people responded with leaving it. Mm -hmm. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> Leaving it, making plans to leave it, right. <laughs> never stepping foot in it again. That's disillusionment. It mm. is, it's absolute disillusionment. And when you think about someone like Silas Miami and like his story, which includes that he was like one of the writers for Supermodo in like a development film program that sounded like it was just very horribly mismanaged mm. by Mzungus right. and did not end up getting paid for a movie that was actually very successful. Mm -hmm. I mean, right. it's on Showmax. Yes. And um, Silas wrote the script and because he was a trainee, then he just didn't end up yeah, getting paid. Story, it's yeah. crazy. And yeah. I mean, there is something around like the idea that young people can never be qualified to actually like do something. Even when we do something, mm -hmm. our capabilities are questioned. Our worth is questioned. I really think that that's what happens mm -hmm. when people do not get paid. And I've been involved with the Kenyan Creatives Deserve Better mm -hmm. movement and just the stories of how many young creative people are working hard are doing their best and are sending multiple invoices to very large advertising agency to get paid how does that wear down on your spirit honestly to spend half a year fighting for like 100k Right. It's that the company can pay. Can't, can't but it's a big really. building. Right. <laughs> the yeah. boss is driving a big car, like or at least could talk to you about what the problem is, you know? But they're just receiving silence. And to me it's like this silence, this lack of recognition is what is disillusioning young people because we are frustrated and we are ignored. We are not even validated in that frustration. Mm. I mean when you see a headline about how well the economy is doing. 
it feels like someone that is spitting in your economics. face. <laughs> yeah. Right, right, right. What, but, but, what but, good but, economy feels like this? Yes. Aisha, let me just, um, and Dorothy, let me just say something. That when we talk about young people in Africa and in Kenya, we must also be very careful because there are different yes. categories <laughs> of young people. Right. The category that is talking about are those who have gone to school, they are graduates, they are exposed, right. and they are generally the so-called millennials in that very narrow sense who are tuned to the 21st century and uh, right. its promises, mm -hmm. the fourth industrial revolution, 5G. But even in urban Africa, there is another segment yes. of young people and you find them, those who did not go beyond high school and they're engaged in informal business, they are selling mitumba and I know that they are graduates who are also in that business, but the bulk of them are in that category. And you go to rural Kenya, you go to, to Meru, those who are in the Mira business, you go to Kericho, those who are focused on tea, you go to so-called Nyans and Western, who are fisher person. So we, we have this very big mix of people. The, the people who want to leave are those who have been exposed, who are really are with it, so to speak. But there is another group that really are stuck in Kenya. Yeah. And uh, they are hopeless, mm. particularly now. They don't know what to do. And when you listen to those whom you have given the honor and privilege mm. of uh, utilizing your taxes and defining policy positions to take care of you, mm. they treat you as one composite whole mm. with a one-size-fits-all oh, solution. Yes. We have this ways of fund for young people. Then you are going to be given each one of you 50,000 bob. Completely, perhaps the intentions are noble, but it is like uh, using a band aid solution to cure a cancerous wound. Yeah, it, right. it doesn't begin to it's wash. It's such a strange mm. amount mm. to me. Because <laughs> what is 50,000? Like, what is that? A laptop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Start your business. You and not, not even a high end laptop. Not even not a high end, and mm. not even like the ability to pay for Wi Fi or yeah. just. I think how was that fifty thousand yeah. It's crazy, and I actually think <clears throat> in terms of like policy positions, there are real questions about how anyone decides any amount in, in yes, this country. Absolutely, the figure that was being sent out to like I think they called them needy or despondent households, but underprivileged homes wow. that were supposed to be getting mobile cash transfers. I saw today that that plan has actually been scrapped, but the amount was confusing as well. It was mm. like a thousand a month. For what? Right. <laughs> because you can't get milk, sugar, yeah. and and what is the size of the household? Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And like how who and calculates these? And how did they find these needy households? Because yeah. in in my opinion, an appropriate policy response would have been like in a period that the economy is contracting, everyone is needy because bills happen every mm. month, and not a lot of people who live in a city have the ability to weather more than one month of bills. Right. Like it's true everywhere in the world. Mm. So everyone needed money and the way that asian countries were able to get out of the crisis and get back to building their economy was to be able to stay at home contract trace which also costs money right. so the last thing you should have done with that money is steal it <laughs> <laughs> which is what we did which, which, was, which, which was the first which idea is the first thing that <laughs> <Yeah>. we did <laughs> yeah. oh that is depressing yeah yeah <laughs> 
it is depressing because you know i still get confused because i thought that covid 19 was going to teach us in kenya in africa that we must have an insurance or a system a welfare system that takes care of us when crisis happens mm -hmm. but we didn't no it, and it hasn't worked we haven't thought yeah. about it well i would have said we need universal health care it right. needs to be free we need it, but we cannot afford right. it. We cannot afford it because we don't utilize our resources well. Mm. I right. remember in my younger days here in Nairobi, in the estates, and even in rural Kenya, you had dispensaries and you'd go there and yes. you'd get medicine mm. and you'd so that the hospital in Nairobi or the provincial hospitals were true referral hospitals. It means that if we utilize our resources judiciously and efficiently, we can afford many of these things. But because we have men and women, particularly men, who are in positions of authority and their appetite for privatization of public resources mm -hmm. is so very deep and rabid mm -hmm. that they don't think that they are in those positions to midwife processes mm -hmm. which are for the general good. They think that it is their duty to utilize that money for personal benefit. And, and it's now strange in Kenya, somebody said uh, rather interestingly that uh, the Kenyan politician, when they want people to throw stones, they take other people's children. But when they are in office and they want to do business, they now bring their wives and their children. So when there is money to be made, you bring your family. Yeah. You bring your family. <laughs> when there are, there are stones to be thrown, you bring other ch people's children. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, think <laughs> to me, it's also just like the incredible impunity to register a company that you want to do these things in the name of your wife and your child basically exposing them you to, I mean, they will go to jail with you if there was a jail it's like you're yeah, thinking there was a jail. It's yeah, like you, just, jail. you just know that i yeah. will never go to jail yeah, yeah. it's as if so the impunity where is the where does the impunity come from because we've seen it no head podcast is about really mindfulness mindful leadership mindful being mindful as citizens as well what what happened to us you know why this impunity and how do we can we have a hope that we can stop the impunity and what does it take for that impunity to stop and for us to play our role? Mm. I don't know if that makes sense. I think you make sense. Mm. Uh, I, at one time I talked about what I called the character transplant. <laughs> it's a figure of speech that mm. we as a people must have a character transplant mm. so that we are new, so that there is newness in us so that we know that it is good to do good mm. and and we know that when you are in a position of, of privilege and authority it is your duty to serve right mm. and that if you don't serve you'll be punished right. but i think over the years we have seen that really transgressions are not punished right so when you give somebody a, a meter they then take ten thousand meters and I think that is what has been happening consistently so that men and women who have put their, have had their hands in the cookie jar mm. are actually celebrated. Right. And, and uh, we have become a nation where the acquisition of material wealth is the test of success and we care uh, not and we care the least, if at all, how you acquired it. In fact, okay. it is expected that if you are in public office, you will steal. And if you don't, then you are 
treated as a fool. Right. And, and, and let me give you an example. Recently, just as we are speaking now, in Somalia, their minister for health, I think, was found with his hand in the cookie jar and is in jail for 18 years. Quick justice. Mm -hmm. I'm silently applauding. Yes, <laughs> quick <it>. justice. <laughs> So what one expects, because these are murderers, these are mass murderers. Right, right. If you have money for use in the health sector and you inflate bills by of a thousand percent right. or you just don't buy what is expected so that if you are cancer, you have goods and equipment worth nearly six billion, one point something billion sitting there and people are dying, then who are you? Who are you? Indeed, yeah. sorry, you're, you're saying something. Well, I've been thinking about like traditional like trauma responses, which are like fight, flight, freeze, freeze. or fawn. Mm -hmm. So um, fight, mm -hmm. I think Mui probably took care of our fighters. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of them mm -hmm. were killed mm -hmm. <laughs> or imprisoned mm -hmm. or silenced or live abroad now or and so has there been like that continuous continuity of the fighter mm. spirit we mm. look at what happened to the actual fighters of the Mau Mau resistance like mm. where they are now mm. their condition right so um fight did not work <laughs> um flight a lot of people have left right and are planning on leaving mm -hmm. freeze I think many but of us... But those are the privileged ones. Yeah, mm. but I do think, I just to push back slightly on mm. um, the professor's opinion, I think mm. that if Kenya was on an ocean that could get you anywhere, <laughs> like if you could get on a floaty and go to cross the Mediterranean, yes. Kenyans would okay. do we it. And absolutely, when you look at the situation in... I've forgotten, but where was it that those women are protesting? Um, the Kenyan consulate kind of took them there to be house helps and then they were kicked out. Um, was it in Saudi Arabia? Yeah, the Emiratis? Yeah, one of them. Yes. And to me, that's a story of your government participating in human trafficking and promising you a job, which again tells me that flight is very popular. <laughs> Right. right people are willing to leave this country mm. they are looking for opportunities True. to leave and then there's fawn which i think the professor talked about which is when you just become obsessed with the people who are actually hurting you mm. and you just want to please them mm. and so you fawn mm. over them mm. in an attempt which is uh, to make them like you right. <laughs> the stockholm syndrome it is right. absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and, right. and i mean in therapy they say the only way to break through your trauma responses is to acknowledge what it is that you are actually feeling. And Kenyans have a lot of jokes, a lot of euphemisms, a lot of brushing things off socially. And again, I'm talking about Nairobi culture because mm. that's what I know. Mm. Um, but do we have a lot of saying, of actually holding each other accountable in our relationships for the way we hurt each other? for the things we do to each other, but in healthy ways that aren't about like, oh, I am punishing you right. and I'm going to destroy you. But accountability is part of relationships. Yeah. We need to hold each other accountable so we can move and grow right. together. And we do not have a healthy process around that, I think on any level, like individually, level, politically. Too. Kenyans have, I think, a, again, Nairobi-centric, have a really hard time saying that was painful. Mm. I'm not going to make a joke mm. about it. I'm not going to, this yeah. was un acceptable right. it is unacceptable that the kenya police killed a young boy yes mm. he was. Mm. unacceptable can we sit in the pain of that no because no, even post-election violence did we sit in the pain of that no we did no not. we are very 
we are in a hurry to move on because yeah it is cumulative and when we do stop we will have to feel the pain all of it it is selective from amnesia. colonialism it is <laughs> it's selective amnesia which perhaps is uh, designed whether deliberately or otherwise uh, to immunize us from the pain so we make jokes about them we trivialize them mm -hmm. and, and if you are too serious then people think something is wrong with you but I think, and this is a question that you posed a little earlier, because COVID is still with us. One would have thought that when you find yourself in an environment such as we have found ourselves in, when there is a total shutdown of the economy, when you see for the first time in almost all sectors, whether it's agriculture, whether it's education, whether it's the hospitality industry, mm. you see everything is on a downward spiral. And if you are in Nairobi, you see iconic hotels such as the Intercontinental Hotel saying, we are shut down. When you see Kenya Airways planes completely down, then in the ordinary nature of things, it should be that you are stirred into a totally different reality. And that from that day on, you almost have what, if you are spiritually inclined and you are of the Christian dimension, mm. you'd say you have your encounter a Damascan kind of uh, situation. I did your soul and you become Paul mm. and there is a new way of seeing things. But yet, when all of us see what has happened with people who are now being described as the COVID millionaires, you, you, you begin to think that there is a crop of people who are untouched and unmoved, mm -hmm. even when there are such situations as we have already talked about. But the question is, is a critical mass of Kenyans so touched by this reality that they will change when COVID becomes less aggressive because I don't think COVID is going anywhere. Well, that is the question that still lingers in my mind. Right. And I want to be optimistic. Optimistic in imagining that there is a critical mass of well-intentioned Kenyans mm. who will have learned from this experience. I'm guardedly optimistic. I, I hope so. I really think we can get there if people can push through feeling the shame of poverty as a personal shame rather than a national shame. If you are struggling, if you have struggled in this period to pay your rent, to pay your bills, to send your kid to school, do not hold that as personal shame, mm -hmm. something that needs to be protected from the world, something that needs to never be discussed, something that needs to be hidden and take it so you can continue to prepare your good face for mm. the world please hold it as a public shame and mm. i don't know if it's like reminding people that there is actually a social contract or there should be but right. are people aware of this i don't know contract? we just want to hold ourselves personally accountable for things that are not you see you see it in the types of books that are so popular mm. in kenya is it and it's not paulo Freire. it's not you know it's not right. these like thinkers on like revolution or revolutionary thinking, it's self-help. Mm. It's like how to become yeah. a millionaire. Oh, how yeah. to... <laughs> what is yeah, it that like... the, the, the person, is it the monk who did something? Yes, oh, the yes. monk who drove a Ferrari. Or something. <laughs> so right. it, the idea is that you have to be able to bootstrap yourself out mm. of 
every situation and when i also read stories about people who were too ashamed to go to the hospital when they were sick with covid okay. mm. or accept that yeah. this is what we are suffering it's, it's from. almost like that scene in the movie goodwill hunting like we need a therapist to come to kenya and just be like it's not your fault <laughs> it's not your fault until you cry and like let it out Right. And then you know look up with a clear mind like whose fault is it actually Wow mm. So what has happened because I don't know I still feel like is there a way out for for Kenya is there a way out for Africa because I still think that this idea of and it has been said you know we we always have private solutions to to public crisis mm. Mm. So we will sort it out but you know and that's the idea of this is a personal shame i'll find a solution for my family and i i don't want anyone else to find out but i think until it becomes public which means that we are all taking responsibility mm. then we can have a change i feel like as long as it's a personal thing that you're doing mm -hmm. in your corner we will never get out of it yeah whether we young people middle class well to do which it, social strata it doesn't matter mm. so how do we awaken that how do we get how do we even start thinking about that you know the idea is to get people thinking and talking about it i think people are thinking about it i mm. i i take time to mm. listen to what is happening to the continent of Africa and Africans in the diaspora and I'm amazed that during this period the number of people I've met virtually uh, across continents in Barbuda in Barbuda in St Kitts and Nevis in Belize mm. is you can see a new consciousness and people are beginning to recognize that what affects your neighbor affects you and I think when we talk for example about this gentleman who was uh, killed uh, so very inhumanly uh, George Floyd he was not the first one but it was emblematic right and and that is what people now recognize that we have something or some people who have their knees on our necks mm -hmm. and that you are brother and your sister's keeper mm -hmm. it it may not be as dramatic as we want it to be it's like the titanic turning right. it is not visible mm -hmm. it's turning but it doesn't it's not dramatic right. Because it's not a it's not a boat, but after some time you see you say so it was turning. <laughs> so I think that it is turning, and I've seen a number of things being done. Of course, we are in the business of identifying some of the faults that have been uh, that we have identified. But if you look even at our response to the COVID nineteen across Africa, it was very impressive. Given uh, our weak health systems, right. people. Governments uh, responded, in my view, fairly firmly, where they thought that that was the way to respond, and where they thought that they had to be firm but fair. There was clarity, like in Tanzania, we have taken this path. We are not ignoring science, but this is the chosen path. In Rwanda, in uh, South Africa, in Ghana, almost every country, and that tells me that there is some kind of consciousness as this guest, as the Germans would say, mm. that is beginning to emerge. And if you come to countries such as Kenya, where there has been theft of, of COVID funds, people are angry. You go to Nigeria, people are very angry. You go to South Africa, people are very angry. It is how to canalize that anger positively. 
so that it achieved the desired goal. And what is the desired goal? I have always found great wisdom in the words that are in the American Declaration of Independence because I think they were God-inspired. And, and, and because it was a migrant country, it says, we hold this truth to be self-evident, that all men are born equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain alienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That it is for these reasons that governments are instituted amongst men to be governed by their consent. And as if they don't live up to that, it is also the right of those people to replace that government with another. And, and I think that that summarizes what we want, mm. the pursuit of happiness. And what is happiness? When we define happiness, we are simply saying that people want food on the table. People want uh, education. People want shelter. People, once they have achieved those basic things, Abraham Maslow's Pyramid of Human Wants, once the basics are catered for, then you go into the level of self-actualization. What then is the duty of government? The duty of government is to provide those, to provide infrastructure, to provide an environment where people can actualize themselves, to create an environment where people with capital can deploy capital and that capital will create opportunities for innovation and invention. And many African governments are not doing that. This is why we have uh, griped with many African governments. And people are now beginning to make demands. And if you allow me a little latitude, see the demands that have been made lately in uh, in, in the Sudan, the, the removal of Omar el-Bashir. Right. See what has happened in with the removal of uh, Keita in Mali, see what happened with uh, Patrick, Professor Patrick Wamutarika in Malawi who was voted out. In other words, that anger is now beginning to emerge. And in Mali, which I'm following very keenly, see the people who have led this revolution, completed the revolution, 25 years old, 30 years old. That is the generation. They are beginning to say, we are not going to allow you to squander our, our present and future. So I'm not afraid. I can see change, but it's the Titanic turning. The Titanic it doesn't turn like a race car. No, it turns slowly, surely, but deliberately. I am maybe less optimistic, mm. I guess, because I do not have the same <laughs> yeah. bird's eye view. Um, yeah. that, that, that encouraged me mm. to hear that. The things that encourage me in my own little circle are one is very encouraging to see people my age thinking about trauma-informed work like taking seriously the fact that if you work with people in kenya you work with trauma <laughs> and do you have a handle on your own trauma do you know how to handle people with trauma in a way that doesn't re-traumatize them mm. or traumatize them mm. further um, because I think in a lot of the helping professions especially like the development world or uh, the legal world which I both mm. kind of came from mm. there is a lot of condescension in mm. the help relationship that I think is a colonial throwback mm. it's the idea that I cannot help you without stooping mm. down to your level mm. and I think if we're very honest all Kenyans we are on the same level and mm. I hope that whenever the Titanic turns, what mm. has also turned with it is how we treat ourselves and how we treat 
each other. Mm. I want that idea of interpersonal accountability mm. to check back in. One of the things that really terrifies me online is the way that men and women, Kenyan men and women interact on the internet mm. because the lack of conversation the lack of being able to hear each other mm. and the misogyny that is almost like rabid like just come to like shut down this woman and make her stop talking or just mm. call her all these names to shut down this woman and we all went to school together i mean that's what i was remembering as i was writing the report on the state of online gender-based violence mm. i was thinking we all went to school together we all sat in class together mm. how did we never learn how to treat each other mm. in discourse you know in disagreement mm. um and i think for those things i do not want us to follow a blueprint of any other country i want us to get in touch with ourselves our unique humanity mm. how we feel we mm. should go forward because i think beyond all the ideas of what africans traditionally were we know Mm. in our blood along with the trauma right. was also the joy and all the wonderful things about right. being black about being african mm. that are alive mm. in us mm. and yeah so i think that if we can get in touch with an authenticity about how this country feels and say it feels terrible mm. <laughs> and mm. think to ourselves what why does it feel terrible what are the ways in which i have participated in the terribleness of this country mm. um at the beginning of breakdown i remember really thinking like oh well my business has shut down so should i just let go of my house cleaner mm. Wait, and then i thought that is crazy <laughs> let her go where uh let her go to do what mm. and then use that money i'm saving to also do what eat kfc in my house yes. you know right. Mm. <laughs> right so i think in that moment a lot of us really had to um come face to face with like this is a scary situation for me but there are people who rely on me and how would i want to be treated mm, you know yes, in this situation right. so that's really like i had to have that moment with myself and no one was coming to save me with more money right <laughs> right yeah. that was like um and and i think every kenyan has those moments where they think okay this is the way i've been treated but how am i going to treat the person who's standing in front of me and i hope more and more of us make compassionate better choices in those that. moments mm. But I want you to conclude on an optimistic. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm a rabbit, if you may. He's right. Optimist. Yes. Because in Greek mythology, they say when they opened the Pandora's box, everything else but hope remained. Mm. Hope must always be alive. And, and when we are talking about a young nation such as ours, mm. slightly over 50 years old, We've got to go through these phases. And the beauty is that we are now holding conversations of this kind and we are diagnosing our problems, in my view, correctly, which means that we can find the antidote. The only problem, of course, is that we have to find a way of ensuring that this kind of, uh, of engagement does also go up to those who are in positions of power and authority because ultimately many things fall or rise on leadership. Right. And political leadership is the overarching leadership. Because once uh, the great Indian nationalist Rajagopalachari once said that when a nation stumbles, when politics stumbles, the nation pays. 
and it pays in all sectors, the economy, the society. And that is why we must always have what I've described elsewhere as hygiene in our politics. Mm -hmm. That is conspicuous by its absence in Kenya and in most of Africa, mm -hmm. so that you don't hear policy articulation about agriculture, mm -hmm. about the fourth industrial revolution, the internet of things, big data. That is what I would want to hear. Yes. How are we are going to deal with this thing? Because that is, that is the game changer. You are in that right. space, Dorothy. Right. That is the game changer. Uber, the fellow who runs Uber from San Francisco, the fellow who runs Bolt right. from, from Estonia, right. don't own a single car. But they are telling our border border people how much to charge. <laughs> mm. That is the kind of space that I want us to be in. And that is what gives me the faith that it will happen. And it will happen. Change will happen. Oh, change will happen. And positive change. Right. Yeah, positive change. Right. I like that. So no flight. <laughs> <laughs> no flight. No, no flight. No more fawning. Guys. Yeah, no Stop more. Stop admiring these COVID oh, millionaires. Absolutely. Right. Stop it. That's a good way. Yeah. Stop admiring the COVID yes. millionaires. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you. you. That's a good way to, yes. to end our session yes. on self-reflection mm. and doing more breathing. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you very much. Thank you. That's all today in Doe Head, where we learn to live in the present moment. Thanks for listening. Join me again next Tuesday. Please make sure you subscribe to the podcast on Google Podcast, Apple Podcasts, Castbox, Stitcher, SoundCloud, so you never miss an episode. You can also follow me on Instagram, No Head Podcast, and check the website www.nohead.space. That wraps up what I have for you today. Catch you next time, my friend. May you hold yourself accountable. May you hold others accountable. And may we learn to treat each other with compassion. Bye-bye.